Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. It is always great to have you with us on our show this week. We'll kind of get you up to date on what's going on during this offseason for college basketball and also a visit with a guy who's been around the game a long time and is a terrific coach and has been for years. Florida State's Leonard Leonard Hamilton will be our guest coming up in just a little bit. So uh, looking forward to our visit with Coach Hamilton. Chris, what's going on, man? Man, I've become a college baseball fanatic. I know we're going to talk about that later in the show, but uh, I in the in the off season when there's no hoop, and I know there's the NBA, but I don't really focus on the NBA until it gets to the semis. Uh, college baseball is is fun to watch. Uh, I'd love to talk a pick your brain about that a little sure. later. Yeah, we'll do that, and uh, you know, I, I kind of equate. What we just saw this past weekend with the NCAA Super Regionals almost to – and trying to make it Omaha is almost like the uh, regional finals for college basketball where you're trying to make it to the Final Four. Now, eight teams go to Omaha and only four go to the Final Four, obviously. But to me, it's kind of that same defining line in the season to where it really determines how you feel about your year because there's a big difference between making it to the Super Regional and making it to the College World Series in Omaha, just as there's a big difference between making it to the Elite Eight and the Final Four in college basketball. So I, I, I definitely felt some similarities, uh, and, and I've thought about that in years past in watching all that this past weekend. But we will we'll talk a little bit about that uh, coming up later in our show. Chris, one of the big stories that's happened since we last did a podcast was the announcement by Mike Krzyzewski that this coming season will be his final season as head coach of the Duke Blue Devils, where he's been uh, for, for, gosh, 40 years and has obviously multiple national championships, Hall of Fame coaches, done everything in the game he can possibly do. But um, I, I thought that was interesting news, especially after it wasn't that long ago that uh, Roy Williams uh, announced he's retiring effective immediately. Uh, Hubert Davis has taken over at Carolina. Now John Shire will be the uh, coach in waiting at Duke. But uh, what did you think about that announcement, and especially the timing of it? Well, you know, coming on the heels of Roy Williams' retirement, it, it really was kind of shocking, and I wanted to get – some someone who had some ACC expertise on the show this week, and I think we scored big time. Uh, FSU coach Leonard Hamilton will join us to kind of talk about, you know, the, the how the those two retirements of those twin towers of the game yeah. will affect the league. And uh, I think Coach Hamilton gives us some news is going to give us some news about his own retirement status uh, <laughs> hint, hint, fsu fans will be happy right yeah his own retirement uh, status or, or lack thereof <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't seem like he's in any hurry and as i kid him uh in our interview uh, he looks like 20 years younger than he is so uh he, he he i don't think the ravages of coaching are taking much of a toll on him but yeah coach krzyzewski it, it brought up all these pundits that, that said, well, is he the best of all time? And, you know, I got to thinking about it. And obviously, Coach John Wooden at UCLA, he's only 30th on the all-time wins list. But he has 10 national titles, which were won in a 12-year span from 64 to 75, including what I think is the most unbreakable record in sports, seven straight uh, NCAA uh, men's basketball championships. Nobody will touch that ever. That one's safe. Uh, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak, uh, you know, whatever mm-hmm. record you want to th- think will, will fall before this one w- would have a shot. So there's that. But 
I am of the school that that dominance illustrates that it was a different time in the game. I don't think there were as many good players, as many good programs. I don't think the game meant so much to so many schools because that billion-dollar payout that CBS gives uh, for the rights to broadcast the NCAA tournament was not there. So if you look at Coach K, you know, who leads and wins and uh, probably Final Four appearances, he's won five national championships in a more modern era, I would have to say that, and it's hard to compare errors, but I think I would go with Coach K maybe as, as the greatest. And, you know, a guy that a lot of people don't think about is right on their heels, and that's Roy Williams. Yep. He won 903 games in 33 years. That's 100 more than any coach in history in the same amount of time in their careers. So, you know, Roy, uh, he, he's kind of a homespun down home, all shucks kind of guy. But I'll tell you what, he he was a brilliant coach, and people forget that he was basically the low man on Dean Smith's totem pole when Kansas took the chance to hire him, and he's been nothing but he was nothing but successful before he hung it up this spring. Yeah, you know, and comparing those coaches you were talking about, and uh, you know, looking at different eras, and it is hard to compare eras, especially in college basketball, where the game has changed so much. And you think about the tournament has changed so much as well. You didn't have to win nearly as many games and do nearly the amount of work to get to that Final Four or win that championship. And that's to take nothing away from what John Wooden did with with all the championships that he won at UCLA. But I think it's just harder to accomplish that now. And, uh, yeah, you look at five championships, 12 Final Fours, uh, 15 ACC tournament championships, a dozen regular season championships, and what's year in and year out been the toughest league in the country, over 1,100 wins. Uh, I, I would, if you're, going to try to pin me down and ask me who the greatest coach of all time it's hard to say uh anybody other than coach k mike shashevsky so uh looking forward to one final season i i kind of wish roy williams would have done it that way where we could have seen one more year with with roy as coach at, at carolina because you know and see those two face off and, and not in a crazy season like last year where nothing was normal like it like it usually is kind of feels like this season is going to be a little bit more back to normal with fans in the stands like the usual, you know, atmosphere that you typically see. So um, I'm, I'm glad we'll get to see uh, Coach K make one one last trip around. The thing about him, too, is I always thought, like, he was one of those guys that could have gone from college to the NBA and probably been very successful for, if no other reason, in, in that the coaches, the players that he would have coached in the NBA would, would have already already respected him. And, and I think that's one thing that, that maybe guys that go from college to the pros who maybe are younger guys or haven't been around quite as long maybe struggle with a little bit. But I think he would have had that instant respect. I mean, he saw that when he coached the Olympic teams, you know, how, how those players felt about him. Um, I think he would have been successful wherever he would have coached. But uh, a remarkable career for uh, Mike Krzyzewski. And then John Shire will take over. And those are, man, those are big shoes to fill. John Shire was a terrific player at Duke. Um, in fact, when we played them with Belmont in the uh, 2008 NCAA tournament, John Shire was on that team and uh, lost by one point. Our guys did a tough game in D.C. I crossed paths with him a couple times. Uh, we played him twice, played him in, in that season at the end of 2008 in the tournament. Then we played him at the start of the 11-12 season. We played Matt Cameron and, and lost by one point in that game. So uh, in, in, in the uh, years that I did Belmont's games, three games against Duke in North Carolina – 
beat North Carolina and lost two one-point games to Duke. I, I would say uh, a lot of mid-major programs and a lot of programs, period, would be uh, hard-pressed to uh, have, have that kind of uh, success and, and a couple near misses there. But uh, special career for Coach K, and I thought that would probably be a, a good way to lead off our podcast this week. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it answered two questions, his, his retirement. Uh, one, when is he going to hang it up? And two, who would replace him? And I think increasingly, uh, as the years went on, John Shire was was the guy that I think most people thought would be. I mean, Chris Collins looked like he had it going on in Northwestern, and then the reality of of being at one of the most stringent academic schools in the Big Ten set in. And uh, even though he took Northwestern in the NCAA tournament, they've struggled. Uh, Coach Wojciechowski at Marquette gets fired. Uh, Tommy Amaker had his chance at power conference at Seton Hall in Michigan and actually didn't do so well until he got back to Harvard, which was more a Duke-like school. So, you know, the logical candidates, Mike Bray maybe getting up there in years and, and I don't know, Notre Dame not having quite the success here in in the last couple of years. So John Shire was the guy, and I think he'll do a great job. Although, and I've done a little digging into this I, I got to know coach gene bartow um and, and such a gentleman and a scholar but i've interviewed him before about being the guy that replaces a legend and of course he was the first guy to replace coach wooden yeah uh, the first of an endless procession <laughs> right uh, that hasn't really been able to 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 have anywhere near this the sort of consistency it's just not possible in today's game. I do think Mick Cronin's got it going on. Uh, They're going to be a real candidate for blue ribbons preseason number one. And I think they're doing a great job recruiting and Mick's a tough, no nonsense guy that is going to make kids guard. And, and I think, I think he's got it going on. It's funny. He wasn't near their first choice, but yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. The other thing that, that I thought about, you're going to have to get in all your coach K impersonations. You can, in this next year because <laughs> then you're going to have to retire it just like yeah, when he stepped down. So, uh, yeah, that's the bad part about doing impersonations is a lot of the people that I, I could impersonate have all retired and moved on to different jobs or, or something else. But Coach K has always been one of my favorite impersonations, <laughs> talking about basketball. <laughs> I noticed Rich Little, the, the famous comedian impersonator, is still working the game at in his eighties and a lot of the people that he does impersonations of like Carol Channing, like yeah, people don't know who that is anymore. Saying, who the heck is that? Right. Yep. You know, if you say hello, Dolly, they'll say, right. who, what are you talking about? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, you, you've, uh, you've come, you've been nice enough to come to a lot of the, the classes I teach at, at the university of Tennessee. And you've, you've dusted off uh not only the Coach K, but some great stories, uh, <laughs> some of which we cannot repeat on the right. family podcast. <laughs> right, right. We have to uh, modify in a way to repeat on a uh, family exactly. podcast. And it would kind of diminish it, so I'm not going to ask you to, <laughs> right. to do it here. One last thought on this, by from me at least. Uh, you know, I, I too wish Roy Williams would have, would have had uh, a farewell tour, but that's not him. And that wasn't his mentor, Dean Smith, who ironically uh, in a lot of lists uh, that I've seen by pundits now think that he had a better career than even his mentor, Dean Smith, who was such an innovator. But Dean Smith, as you'll recall, he, I remember we were close to putting out blue ribbon and and he retires and 
in October, uh, right before practice starts. And I know that was intentional. He didn't want a farewell tour, and he wanted his assistant, Bill Guthridge, to get the job. And Roy Williams kind of echoed that. He didn't retire right before the season. He retired right after one. But I think it was pretty clear that Hubert Davis was the guy that, that needed to get the job. And Roy just wanted to go play golf and and retire to wherever he's got a, a home. He, he might have a beach home like his buddy Jerry Green does. And, yeah. Uh, and, and just play golf and and call it a career. So, yeah, hate to see those those guys gone. It's going to be a different ACC. But and, and I think Coach Hamilton talks a lot a lot about this. It it won't be diminished in terms of the kind of basketball league it is. Well, it's uh, never a bad time of year to uh, look at one of Joe Lenardi's brackets, and I uh, just put out a, a new one this week, and. Uh, you know, to me, these things, and, I, and I'm sure he probably feels this way too. They, they are what they are at this time of year because you know, don't really know what the rosters are going to be completely like, or what these teams are going to be like, or what kind of chemistry they're going to have, or who else is going to go in the portal, or any of that other kind of stuff. His top four seeds: Gonzaga, Kansas, uh, Michigan, and UCLA. That sounds about right. Uh, two seeds are Villanova, Purdue, Baylor, and Ohio State. So uh, that that's the latest from Joe Lenardi as he uh, somehow figures out a way to put all this together during the off season. Yeah, I jotted down a few notes on each of his number one picks. Um, Gonzaga, of course, suffered heavy personnel losses, probably two lottery picks, one high lottery pick in Jalen Suggs and also Corey Kispert. Uh, I've seen him his name in the fringes of the lottery. But Drew Timmy stayed. Uh, you know, he, he, was, uh, he has become a pretty unstoppable force in the post. Andrew Nembard is back. And then they added three five-star freshmen. Chet Holmgren, of course, Paul Biancardi was on our show, told us he was kind of like a unicorn, a big man who has perimeter skills. Nolan Hickman, who had committed to Kentucky, actually signed with him and got out of that to, to transfer to, or, or move his commitment to Gonzaga. And, and Hunter Salas, two five-star guards. And then they've got, you know, a deep roster of, of people waiting their turn. Uh, they also – signed a third team, all, uh, all big 12 guard and Rasir Bolton. So uh, who can shoot it and score. So I think Gonzaga is, is solid. Uh, it's going to be a tough pick for me to decide who's preseason number one in our book. Michigan returns. Uh, I think, you know, maybe the, I don't know. He, he certainly played like it. The premier big man, Hunter Dickinson, the freshman, certainly the best freshman big man. Uh, they've got a, the number one recruiting class, and they signed a real bonanza, a kid from Coastal Carolina named Devontae Jones, a point guard who's tougher than nails and really fills out a box score. So they're, I like that pick right now. Kansas returns four of its top five, and then they struck gold uh, in the portal. They got Remy Martin from Arizona State, who actually beat Kansas twice, mm-hmm. once at Fog Allen when, when he was at ASU. They got a kid, Jalen Coleman-Land, who is a grown man. He's 24 years old, transferred from Iowa State. He can shoot it. Um, So I think they're going to be really good. And then UCLA, if if Johnny Juzang and Cody Riley, both of who have entered the draft, come back, I think they're going to be – they could be our preseason number one. UCLA also signed a kid named Peyton Watson. He's a 6'8 McDonald's All-American. And got Miles Johnson out of the portal. Uh, he came 
uh, from uh, Seton Hall and average eight and a half boards and two and a half blocks. So uh, that's a big addition to a team that really didn't have a ton of size. So I, I like those four picks and uh, they seem to have rosters that are pretty secure other than UCLA, which is really waiting on Johnny Juzang's sure. decision. And I have not seen his name in in many mock drafts. So that's pretty telling because these guys that do these mock drafts follow it pretty religiously. So if you can check all that out at ESPN.com and get the, uh, the latest from Joe Lenardi, his uh, brackets that he does on a regular basis, even in the off season. Chris, our, our guest is here. Uh, he is Coach Leonard Hamilton, the head coach at Florida State, and a guy who's, man, he's been around the game a long time. He's been head coach at FSU since 2002 and has just built a program that's a perennial winner there. Uh, Elite 8 or Sweet 16 each of the last three NCAA tournaments, and the one uh, that, that kind of got away was maybe in 2020 when they uh, had just a great season with 26-5 and five and 16-4, and four, and he joins us now. Coach, how you doing? How, how's camp going down there in Tallahassee? Well, I'll tell you what, it's a lot of fun. Very active, a lot of activity going on all over the campus. Our players are involved in the camp, and the kids enjoy that. We had a team camp last weekend, about 140 teams, and extremely competitive. Uh, that was um, was very exciting, watching kids uh, being coached by the high school coaches yeah. this time of year before they get into AAU play and how much pride they played with. I determined how intense the coaches were. It was very refreshing. And I was telling someone when you have 140 teams and you multiply that time, 10, 15 kids, they're all doing good, clean, wholesome things, staying focused. And and it makes you feel that uh, basketball is very important, keeps kids uh, out of a lot of trouble and keeps them doing something positive during the summer. You know, when you think back, you've done these camps for years. Have there been very many players that you saw as, as a little kid and, and say, an individual camp that ended up playing for you later on as, as a college player? Well, it's always been a few, but that's 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 not what these are all about. You know, this yeah. is fun and entertainment, establishing friends, relationships, developing a, compet- a competitive spirit and attitude. I always tell, tell people that basketball is so good for you as, 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 from a growth standpoint because you got to adjust to having a little success. You got to adjust to the agony of defeat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make some mistakes. You got to have a teamwork. You got to learn to give, share, be unselfish, unity. It, it just teaches so much about life. That's why I think it's such a good basketball, a good, a good game to play. Coach, I wanted to ask you, I, I, I wasn't a history major in college, uh, but I do remember this. Ponce de Leon, uh, 500 years ago, went to Florida looking for the founder youth. I don't think he found it, but I think you did. Uh, <laughs> how is it that the longer you coach, the younger you look? Well, in the first place, I think mentally, emotionally, I really enjoy what I do. Yeah. And, and I think that stress has uh, a way of, of causing you to age and how you how you deal with it. Um, I, I you know, I've, I've been I've always been a, a man strong, a strong believer, a strong. I've always had a strong faith, and I always believe that it's sacrilegious to worry. You know, God has all blessed all of us with a certain level of potential and talent. And if you're doing the very best with what you have to work with, and what He's been blessed you with, then you have to accept the outcome. You really uh, can't really 
determine what the outcome is going to be, but the process by which you go through preparing yourself to compete is is, is where all the work goes into. And if if you don't win the game or you're not as successful, you learn from those mistakes, you learn from the defeats, and then you you profit from it by getting smarter and gaining wisdom through the experience. And that's pretty much the, the way I look at it. So I don't eternalize, even though I hate to lose. Uh, I don't I don't allow it to stress me out, and you know, I really enjoy coming to work every day. I don't have a bad day, and so I think that takes a little bit of that stress off of you that sometimes causes you to age maybe a little faster than you're supposed to. <laughs> well, you're certainly on a roll, Coach. Um, your last several teams, and don't, it really broke my heart when the, the NCAA tournament got canceled, and you were one of the teams and coaches that I thought of because – I thought you all had a real chance, but you've been on a tremendous roll. Uh, can you talk about how you've Florida state has ascended to the, uh, you know, to, to do battle with the very best in, in the toughest league in the country? Well, anytime you take over a program, you have to first understand and evaluate how and why they have gotten to the position where they needed some fixing up. Yeah. You know, people have a tendency to only worry about the end result, but you can't figure out, you, you're not going to have success success in, in, in the end if you don't first figure out why you are in a situation where you got to dig yourself out of, of some other circumstances. And I think that's what we've done a good job of, evaluating uh, uh, where, where we were when we took the job. And I also think that I was blessed with athletic director and Dave Hart who really understood basketball. And he gave me ample time, you know, to develop. He he showed a lot of confidence in us as a staff by giving us ample time and understanding that it didn't get to be this way overnight and you're just not going to dig yourself out of it overnight. But so many programs, and I'm not being critical of any particular program, but I think that the pressure of being successful and winning uh, – faster uh, than you're supposed to and not really addressing all the reasons why programs have not been as successful as they would like. I think sometimes uh, really has been one of the more negative things about sport, uh, working in college athletics. And I, I've been blessed to be with people who have given me the opportunity to develop it. And hopefully we can reward them by having success after success and success. Our guest is Florida State coach Leonard Hamilton. Of course, uh, recent big news out of the ACC recently. Coach Roy Williams retired in North Carolina. Coach K is going to step away after this coming season. How special has it been for you to to go up against those guys and those teams and, and have the success that you guys have had over the years? Well, you, you have to understand this. Um, the ACC has some of the most rich, traditional, successful basketball programs ever assembled in their history of college basketball. I mean, so that speaks for itself. But I'm not real sure sometimes people realize that uh, I think Carolina's what, the third win in this program in the history of college basketball? Mm -hmm. Behind Kansas and and Kentucky. Duke is the fourth win in this program in the history of college basketball. I think uh, Syracuse is fifth. I want to think Louisville is, what, ninth? Uh, Maybe Notre Dame is 14th or something like that. And North Carolina State's maybe somewhere around 20, in the top in 20s, and, and Virginia and everybody else has been to the Final Four and competed for titles. And uh, 
I mean, it, so so when you have when you have a, you know a conference with seventy five or eighty years of success, we're ahead of you. You have to have a tremendous amount of respect for that. In other words, when Florida State was independent, when they were in the Dixie League, when they were in the Metro League, North Carolina and Duke and those schools were in the ACC, having a tremendous amount of success. So you you never going to it's hard to to narrow that gap. So you got to give them their props. You know, our players and our staff, we've coined the phrase, we've dubbed ourselves the new bloods because <laughs> we, it's going to be so hard to ever be a, a blue blood because 75, 80 years of success ahead of you, you know, you'll be chasing that, you know, be chasing that, that number for a long, long time. So we're trying to carve out our own niche. You know, maybe we won't be new bloods and maybe we might let some other teams join our conference. You know, we're, we're in the ACC, but right now we're, we're a new, we and I got our own conference. We're trying to find some other schools can jump in here with us. <laughs> you know, but right now we, we're in our own conference. We're in our own world, the new blood world. That's what, that's who we are. Okay. <laughs> Coach, it's going to be a little different league. How do you think Hubert Davis and John Shire will do when they eventually well, Hubert next year and Coach Shire the year after that. It's it's tough uh, when you're the man that replaces the man, isn't it? Well, you know, I think you just got to kind of wait and see how that goes. Um, some is easier than others. Uh, I think they, they both are experienced. They've both been around. Um, you can't expect uh, them to be who they're replacing. They're Hall of Fame guys, and if, first, if we can all understand that, you know, we don't – Hubert doesn't need to be Roy. And Shire doesn't need to be K. They need to be themselves, and we yeah. need to allow them to, to be themselves. I feel very confident that they both will be successful. But I, I don't think they – but but they, they, they're stepping in some, some pretty big shoes. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a learning curve there, but – They've both been around, man. The class acts, and you know, I, I think that the programs are going to go on. And when you look back at those blue blood type programs, they seem to keep going and going and going, like that commercial, the ever ready battery. They just keep going and keep going. And and I think you can expect more of the same, uh, but uh, they're going to do it. Have to do it their way. But by the way, now. Don't expect me to be retiring anytime soon. <laughs> I'm not following. I, I, I feel good for Roy, and I'm happy for Coach K. But as long as I don't come out of the locker room and, and accidentally go sit on the other team's bench and, and forget what team I'm coaching, you know, I'm going to be hanging right on in there, okay? <laughs> now, if I get to the point where I got to turn to Stan Jones and say, uh, who, uh, what's his name? If I, you know, if I, if I, if I, if I start trying to coach the other team from my bench or go sit on their bench by accident, by mistake, then, Hey, uh, I might be time to walk away right now. If they, they can roll me out in a wheelchair, they can carry me out in a, in a bed. I'll go coach as long as I can. <laughs> Cause I'm having fun. 
Yeah, yeah, it's that bench with the guys wearing the garnet and gold. You make sure you make sure you get over to that one, uh, Coach. Uh, want, want to go back a few years uh, as, as we kind of get close to finishing up here to, to your early days at Austin P and, and everybody, you know, people know about Fly Williams and, and uh, you were right in the middle of that time period there. It, how does the, the player himself compare with the legend of Fly Williams? Well, I mean, I think from a talent standpoint, it's hard to be any better than Fly Williams was. I mean, he scored 51 twice as a freshman. He averaged 27 points and nine rebounds a game as a freshman. And he we didn't have the three-point shot. And he had tremendous range. Uh, was extremely competitive. And uh, he uh, was an outstanding player, as good as any player that I've ever seen or recruited or, or been involved with. And he... Uh, you go back and watch some of his films and you, you know, probably see what I mean. He was sure. a very talented youngster, extremely competitive. And um, he deserved all the recognition from a basketball standpoint that he got. Coach, you, you mentioned Stan Jones. I've, I've been knowing him for a long time and, and also CY Young. Uh, between the two of them, they've been with you for 28 years at FSU. Can you talk about those two guys and what they bring to the program? Well, I think Stan's been with me, what, what 25 some? I mean, he's been. been yeah, it's over 20. I know that. He's, a, he's, um, he's been, he don't, it's my wife and then there's Stan. Okay. <laughs> so he's number two. <laughs> he's the only person I've been around longer than I have my wife. So that's how close we've been. But Michael, Michael Bradley, my weight coach, has been with me over 20 years. CY's been with me now going on eight, I believe. And, um, Steve Smith, who is this really outstanding, uh, he, you know, we, uh, we, he was, he was for, at, he was at, a, at Clemson for a few years. I have an outstanding staff. You know, I, I feel like I got the best assistant coaching staff on planet Earth. They really, really helped me be uh, who I am better than I would have been than I should be. You know, they're lawyer, they work hard. We have great chemistry on our staff. Uh, these guys work very hard, and we have great relationships with our players. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we've been so successful is that we 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 all are connected as a staff and as a team. Coach, we'll let you go on that. Thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Uh, all, all the best to you. You make your way through the summer here, and I uh, hope we can catch up with you again down the road on our, on our podcast. Anytime, fellas. That was Florida State coach Leonard Hamilton. Really appreciate him joining us here on the podcast. And uh, you, you do kind of look back a couple years and think about what might have been for his uh, Seminole team in 2020 with the NCAA tournament canceled that year. But great, great chance to visit with him. Just one of the nice guys and uh, really respected guys around college basketball. Well, Chris, uh, you, you mentioned this off the top, uh, that, that you had been getting into watching the college baseball tournament. Uh, yep. It's now through the Super Regional round. We have the eight teams for Omaha. The College World Series will start on Saturday. I'm actually going to be uh, in Omaha with Vanderbilt. I've called the baseball games throughout the season this year and uh, looking forward to it. I went back in 2019 when they won. I went to the championship series uh, when Vanderbilt played Michigan. And I got to say, that's one of the great events in American sports is the College World Series. It's a fantastic venue uh tg ameritrade park it's it's been the home of that event for about 10 years now uh they moved there in 2011 from the old rosenblatt stadium but 
uh, I, I am so looking forward to going back, and uh, we'll be in a little different role this time. I'll uh, I'll have a chance to uh, do play-by-play for Vanderbilt's games, however many they play. I'll get to be there, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how to pack for all this. But uh, it's it's really been fun to uh, be a part of you know, the the regionals and super regionals, and and now on to the World Series, where uh, you have eight really talented teams, three of them from the SEC, and uh, we'll see how it all goes. Yeah, I I think it's cool that that. This year, you've you've been able to transition to, to Vanderbilt calling games for basketball and now baseball, and obviously, Vanderbilt baseball is is a top tier program. So, what's it like in Omaha? What's the atmosphere? Uh, I've long wondered whether the NCAA, although I I love some of the sites they've gone to, uh, I'll never forget San Antonio and. Mm-hmm in 2008 for the final four, but I've long wondered if they shouldn't just move the final four to Indy, but what's it like uh, in Omaha and, and uh, college baseball to me, it's just been a revelation yeah. uh, this spring for me, just uh, the different kind of uh, play, obviously aluminum bats are a factor. I heard uh, one announcer talking about the ball and somebody mentioned how, uh, Tennessee was able to build back its program because they finally just got a coach who uh, said, we got to play SEC ball, which is power ball. Yep. You know, you got to have a ton of guys that can hit it out of the park. So uh, what a great sport. I'm a fan now for the rest of my days, which I hope are long and plentiful. <laughs> uh, but what's it like uh, in, in Omaha uh, to have one central place? I'm sure the, 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 town is jumping and the atmosphere is electric oh yeah it is chris and they really embrace the event and i'm with you i've even though it's neat to see the final four go to different places i I think indianapolis should should be at least the semi-permanent home for the basketball final four they have a great venue in lucas oil stadium it's a place that really cares about basketball everything's centrally located right there downtown with hotels and restaurants and all that stuff i i thought about that for for a long time and and two like with with college baseball, Omaha is the word. I mean, that, that's what everybody focuses on the entire year. I mean, Vanderbilt does the Omaha Challenge in the fall, where players do you know different conditioning things, and uh, you know they 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 focus so much attention uh, on this part of the year and and getting to this point. And and every program is that way. I mean, everything's about going to Omaha. So you know, if if everything became about going to Indianapolis for college basketball, I, I think that would be kind of a neat thing. But as far as the uh, College World Series for baseball, it's great. Uh, you go out there, and, and again, I haven't been for the whole thing. I went to the championship series. You know, and it's a packed house, and the you know fans yeah. are loud, and and you've just got a great atmosphere around the ballpark. Um, it's another place where everything's centrally located, and there are all kinds of hotels and everything where you can you can basically just walk to the games. I mean, it's within a few blocks, and you know down you walk probably half a mile and there's a whole district that has restaurants and all kinds of great places to go. So, uh, the, the time I spent in Omaha was fun. I even walked to Iowa one day. Uh, they, they have a, a pedestrian bridge. It goes, if you look beyond the center field, kind of left center field fence, uh, the river runs right next to Omaha that separates Nebraska and Iowa. And so cool. when I went in 2019, I'd never been to either one of those States before. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to get another new state while I'm on this trip. I got Nebraska and I've never been to Iowa. So there's a pedestrian bridge. It, 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 it's a really nice you know, walking trail and bridge. So I walked across, and when you get to about the middle of the bridge, there's a line across it that says Nebraska and Iowa. So, I, I you know, of course, I put my feet on both sides and took a picture like, like everybody does. And uh, So I, I walked across to Council Bluffs, Iowa, 
and uh, hung out there for a few minutes and uh, went back. But, yeah, it's a, it's a super fun event. The ballpark's fantastic now. It's a big ballpark. It's kind of yeah. like uh, when, when they play at the Hoover Med in the SEC tournament. And uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, teams that have, you know, some sluggers that hit a lot of home runs, uh, how they fare in this. I tell you what, I think all the SEC teams will be fine because I saw all those teams play in, in Hoover, and I've seen them all throughout the season. Um, we, we played Tennessee and played Mississippi State. Uh, Vanderbilt, one thing the Commodores maybe are the best equipped is in the uh, the two big guns, the starting pitchers, Kamar Rocker and, and Jack Leiter. Uh, those two were excellent against East Carolina and, and before that in the, uh, in the regional as well. So uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. This Vanderbilt team, the, the team I, I call – it's, it's very different from the team that won the 2019 National Championship. Kamar Rocker's the only guy who is a major contributor on that team who's back. And uh, you talk about the ultimate been there, done that guy. He, he's won everything there is to win in, in this whole deal in the postseason. So uh, th- this will be the last time we'll see uh, Rocker and Leiter in, in Vanderbilt uniforms. And uh, I, it'll be really see, special to see him you know, go out with some big wins here in Omaha. But it's a great event. College ba- baseball, I thought for years, is a very undervalued product. You, you talked about the bats and the baseballs. Yeah. They, they've, they've gone to great lengths over the years to try to even that out. And they made changes – They've changed the bats. They've changed the baseballs. They, they've definitely dialed back the bats. Uh, they, they have like it's more of a graphite aluminum sort of. They have these composites, is what they call it, and, and they right. do, they do extensive testing on the bats to make sure that they're within compliance. Um, and, and you'll see. Why don't if, they use wooden bats? I've always I, it's, a, it's a cost cutting thing as much as anything because you, you can use aluminum bats a lot longer than you can you know go through wooden bats, uh, right. but. You know, the one thing, if you'll notice, if you look at the handle of the bat, right above the handle, you see these little uh, stickers, like little hologram stickers, and that's to show that the bat has been tested and has been approved. So be, that's one thing to look for when you watch these guys play. The baseballs themselves, they used to have a much higher seam on them, and I believe it was after the 2014 season they changed the baseball to have a lower seam, you know, in terms of uh, affecting maybe the, how the, the pitches spin and that sort of stuff. And I, right. I think they've done a pretty good job of balancing the game out. It used to be, say, 20 years ago, it was like home run derby. It was like watching a softball game because they used these really hot bats and, gosh, you'd see a million runs. And and then they almost went too far in the other direction where you know, nobody hit a home run. So it, it feels to me like they have the balance about right. Uh, but it, it's a great game. It's a great product. Um, I, it should be a terrific tournament uh, with these eight teams that are in it. Vanderbilt will uh, open up against Arizona, and Tennessee will play Virginia in its first game, uh, the, the teams around where we live. So uh, there, there's a chance they can meet in the championship, and I, I don't even think that's all that far-fetched. They've, they've both had great seasons. Uh, they're both terrific teams. So uh, I know this is a, a college basketball podcast, but there's our, our college baseball segment for this uh, college yeah, basketball I, podcast. I, I envy you, man. <laughs> I wish I could stow away uh, on with you to, to go, but uh, – have fun out there. Uh, I, I I really think you you deserve it. You've uh, you've paid your dues, uh, uh, you know, as as an announcer, and and I think this is a tremendous opportunity for you to to go call the College World Series for an SEC school. So. Good luck, man. I know you'll enjoy it. Absolutely, and uh, I know there's some good places out there to eat, so uh, maybe I'll, I'll send you some photos if I find a good steak <laughs> or something. Chris, uh, always a blast to do the podcast, and we'll do it again soon. Uh, appreciate the time, man. Yeah, man. Maybe you can give us the full report next time. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and we will talk to you next time.